Well, next Thursday will be the king has instituted. Um, and so <laughs> it was going to bug me all night if I didn't get to that. Sorry. Um, well, after having a week off, we are back into the book of Ezra. We have now arrived to the last chapter of the book of Ezra. And so you can make your way over to Ezra chapter 10. Um, I must say, I have truly, truly, truly fallen in love with the book of Ezra. But I think more so I've fallen in love with Ezra himself, you know, which is incredible because every time I get into a certain book, you know, I, I just dive in and I get to know the writer and I get to know the situation and I get to know all these things that are going on and it and and they end up kind of being my favorite, you know. Um, and I know that there's this running joke, well, everything is your favorite. Well, heck yes, it is, you know. Um, but when you're in a particular text or a particular book, my heart is to be able to know the writer, to know the situation and to, to under, try to understand it and, and kind of live in it um, on Thursday nights or Sunday mornings or whatever the case may be. And so I have truly, truly just kind of dug on this young man knowing the fact that he is a young man, probably 22 years old at this point that he is writing this book. It's interesting because he comes in late in the book, even though his name is, you know, the book is named after him. It could have easily been the book of Zerubbabel because Zerubbabel is the main character in the first six chapters, him and Jeshua. And, and Ezra doesn't come in until the seventh chapter up until the end here. And he only basically is on the scene for about two years. But I love the fact that in the first six chapters, this young man, he captures the very essence of what this whole book is all about, even though he wasn't even a thought in his father and mother's eyes, you know, because his father and mother might have not even been born when all this book started, because it started some 80 years earlier. And so in those 23 years of the first six chapters, he captures the very essence of those who had returned from captivity. Zerubbabel and Jeshua being the main characters and 50,000 others who returned with them. He, he captures that whole, that whole scene and the purpose and the drive and the determination that these people had to come and set up the altar to come and lay the foundation of the temple once again, and then to turn around and then build the temple itself. And they built it in 23 years they do this thing. And actually they had like 15 years of doing nothing because they got overwhelmed by the adversity that had come upon them. And so for that time they had done nothing. And so this young man comes on the scene and he just breathes this life into this book for me. You know, because there was this 57 year gap from chapter 6 to 7, that nothing is said. And it is in that time period that this young man is born. It is in that time period that the book of Esther is written. And so this young man, he comes back, and because of that time gap that had happened, even though this, this revival had happened 80 years earlier, basically, it had kind of fallen in decay. And this man... 
comes on the scene and he is driven to, to share with us the promises that God had given his people. And that was to make them a nation once again. You see, they had been gone from their homeland in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And God allowed them to come back and become a nation again. Which is a total miracle because after a generation of being gone from your homeland, very rarely, if ever, does a nation come back and become a nation. And that was the first time. Because in May 14th of 1948, after being gone since 70 A.D., Israel becomes a nation again. And God just does a miracle again with this country and bringing them together. And so Ezra, Ezra was truly the man for this time that, that we are looking at. Even though he was young, he was the man for this time. And God had given him wisdom beyond his years. It was only because it tells us in chapter 7 that he had prepared his heart to seek the Lord, the law of the Lord. And not only to seek it, but to do it. And there's a difference there, man, because you can try to seek it and not do what God's word says. But this young man, he purposed in his heart to seek after the Lord and to do what God told him to do. And then on top of that, it tells us that he taught the statutes and the ordinances. Because this man was a young man who had become a scribe. And there's a, a, a scripture in, in Ezekiel twenty two thirty where it says, God speaking, he says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me and before the land that I should not destroy it, and I found no one. That was in Ezekiel's time when he was in captivity, when he was writing that. And yet, God was preparing a young man that would come years after. And he sought after a man, and I believe he found a man in Ezra. He was a man, here was a man who was willing to be used of the Lord because he put himself out there to be used of God, and God used him mightily, above and beyond whatever he ever expected, probably. And so, after this huge gap, the people fell into willful sin once again against the Lord. And the Lord would use Ezra to help this nation. And so, Ezra chapter 10, let's read the first four verses here. Now while Ezra was praying, and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing before the house of God, a large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, the son of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, we have transgressed or we have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them. 
according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. We are with you. Be of good courage and do it. (laughs) If you remember a few weeks ago, if you were here when we were covering chapter 9, we learned that it was about four months after he had arrived in Jerusalem about, it took him about four months as, as he hit the road running or hit the ground running, as he started setting everything up, that everything was now set in order, that now that everything was in place, that the people came to him to kind of let him know that all is not well in Jerusalem. Now, I can imagine this young man coming to his homeland, or not his homeland because he was born somewhere else, but coming to the place that he had heard from his ancestors, from his fathers, from all these people, that, that, that now because he's a, a scribe and a priest, that he understood and he had learned about the temple, that he comes back to, to Jerusalem and he sees the temple for the first time and he is just so excited that he begins to worship and begins to just do all that God had called him to do. He knew what he was called to do. God had called him for a time like this. And he had brought him to this time. And so in four months, he settles all of this stuff. Again, mind you, he's 22 years old. All these older people are there. All these people that have been there for a while are there. But he gains the respect. He gains the respect of these leaders who came to him in chapter 9 to tell him, hey, by the way, man, I know you've been doing all this great stuff, but can we just can we just bring out the dirty laundry right now? Um, there's a lot going on on this underbelly of this whole beast here, man. There's a lot of ugliness that has happened. There's a lot that has been going on. I want you to turn over, if you will, if you will like. If not, you don't have to, to Malachi chapter 2. And I want to read to you this portion of Malachi because it's important to understand what is going on in the nation of Israel. Now, mind you, Malachi will write the book of Malachi. He will be the last writer of the Old Testament right after Nehemiah, which would be in about another 30 years. He would be writing the book and telling us some of the things that was going on with the people of Israel. Now, in Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, Malachi writing, rebuking, basically, the people. And he says this, we have, not all one, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do you deal treacherously with one another? By profaning the covenant of the fathers. In verse 11, it says, Judah has dealt treacherously. And an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. Many of God, many, uh, may the Lord cut off from the tent of Jacob the man who does this. Being awakened, 
awake and aware. Yet, who will bring an offering to the Lord of hosts? And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and the wife by covenant. But, you, but did he not make them one? Having a remnant in the spirit, and why one? to seek godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for he covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Now, I share that portion again because Malachi would be coming up right behind Ezra and Nehemiah. And he would be talking and sharing these things that had been going on. Now, it is believed when, when the last chapter, when, he, when the people say, here, let's bring out this dirty laundry. It is believed that many of the people, many of the men who had come and had married their Jewish wives, had put them away, had dealt treacherously with them by putting them away and married pagan wives. And that's why he was saying, I hate this. I hate the divorce. I hate what you guys have done because you guys have done, dwelt treacherously with the wives of your youth. And so that's what was happening in the last chapter when they came and they said, we have sinned. We have been doing these things with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites and all the otherites that, that we have transgressed by mixing this, this holy seed, basically. You see, the leaders had gained so much confidence in this young man, so much respect in Ezra that they came and let him know, here's where we're at with all of this. And when he tells, when they tell him, man, we have transgressed or trespassed against the Lord because the word trespass means that they did it on purpose. They knew what they were supposed to do and they didn't do it. They went for it. And so... I love the fact that even though Ezra had every right to confront the people, when, they, when he was made known of all the, the sin, the trespass that was going on, he could have confronted them and he could have challenged them and he could have punished them for their sin. But instead, as we learned last time, he grieves, he mourns, he laments over the whole thing. And he begins to fast and pray for the situation that the people have gotten themselves in. And he prays an amazing prayer from verses about 5 to the end of the chapter, in chapter 9. And it is an amazing prayer. And you can go back and either listen to the study or, or read the prayer for, for yourself. And this is where we find ourselves in our text in verse 1. 
He had, he had torn his, his clothes and he had pulled his hair out and pulled his beard out and he is just lamenting over what has gone on. This young man knows about the authority that he has been given by the king, but also by the Lord. He knows what he has been called to do. And he could have easily taken this, this situation and just started slashing everybody and everything that's going on and just saying, I'm going to put things in order. It took me four months. It'll take me another few months to get everything in order. He could have done that. He could have just went after the people for the sins that they had been commit that they had been they had been committing, and he could have just let the chips fall where they may, because he had every authority to do that as a scribe, as a priest, as the authority that the king had given him, and the authority that God had given him. And we wouldn't fault him because he had the right to do that. He had done nothing wrong. And yet when you read his prayer, when you start listening to the way he just confesses to the Lord, he begins to say, we, we as a nation, we as a people. He brings this on upon himself and takes on that responsibility that he has been called to this. And it was those people, and he could have easily just been praying, those people, Lord, those people. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he brings it upon himself and we find him in the first chapter or in the first verse here that he is praying, he is confessing, he is weeping, and he is bowing down before the Lord. He is torn up, man. He is torn up for his people. This is such a great example of somebody who, 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 again, has this heart to lead a, a group of people. Just like Moses, when, when, when God was challenging Moses to say, Moses, you know what, I'm tired of this stiff-necked people. Let's just get rid of them and I'll start a new people with you, Moses. And he says, not on your life, man. Because I know what will happen if you did that. Then the people from Egypt and those people who we have defeated, they're going to say, oh, God couldn't handle it. And he says, no, Lord. This leader here, this young man here, <laughs> is such a good example for us. Whether you're leading in a church or leading in your family, understanding that God has called you for that time. <sighs> Sometimes we find ourselves in situations that are overwhelming as leaders. Sometimes you just don't quite comprehend how in the heck did this thing just fall apart so quickly? How, how, how can people do this to one another? How did I get in the middle of it? How did any of this thing happen? And, and, and so as a leader, man, you can easily say, you know what, let me just take out my sword and just start cutting ears off and heads off and let the chips fall where they may. I didn't do any of this. You know, and it's just, you're the one that caused it all, you know. So if you leave, you leave. If you cry, you cry. If you whatever, whatever, you know. But this young man, he, he, he just takes it upon himself to just pray. He takes it upon himself to begin to confess the sins of his people, even though he hadn't done any of that. This word weeping means that he is wailing. He is bemourning this, this whole situation. It is down deep in his soul. 
And yet he finds himself bowed down before the Lord because he, he, he can't go anywhere else. Not just everybody. <laughs> or not just anybody or anyone like, like this can lead like this. Because it's easy to just say, you know what, it's everybody else's fault. And it was. But yet he took it upon himself. And I, and I understand that there are times when action needs to be taken at once. I understand that. In some situations. But that means that you've already been prayed up. <laughs> that you've already been read up. <laughs> and you're ready because you've acknowledged the Lord that day and you're going, Lord, whatever comes my way, help me to deal with it. In, in your fashion, the way you want me to do it. And there are things that happen that are right now. And you deal with them. As a leader of a church, you, you, you have to do that at times. And I'm sure you have to do that in your own household. That's why we are to be acknowledging the Lord consistently and continually. But for the most part, there's always time always time for praying, for praying, for confessing, for weeping, for bowing down, and might I add, add fasting. But there's always time for that. Even, even if you have to deal with it in, in a few hours, it's like I will fast from this moment to that moment, and I will do nothing else but pray. Seek the Lord. Only so that God can act on our behalf. You see, God is never in a hurry. And yet He is never late. Ever. And so when we think we have to act right now, man, things got to happen right now, it's like, chill out for a little bit. Let's just see what God's going to do in this situation. And I know that I've been accused of, 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 from people who say, man, you haven't done it yet. You haven't done it. It's like, hey, man, chill out. It, because it's easy oftentimes to just act. It's a lot harder when you have to wait and go, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm bowing down before you. I'm taking time to fast for this situation and for these people and for whatever is going on. And I love the fact that as he is, praying, confessing, weeping, bowing down, it tells us a very large assembly of men and women and children gathered to him from Israel. For the people wept bitterly. As he was praying, confessing, weeping, bowing down, before the Lord, the Lord was already acting on his behalf. <laughs> God was already preparing the people to come and, 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 and join him in what is going on. I, I, I cannot tell you how many times the Lord has done this on my behalf, and I, will, I, and I must say on our behalf as a church. <laughs> in dealing with situations that arise in the church, whether it's a small church or a big church, there's always situations that can arise. And if I had acted, 
when the people thought that I should have acted, (laughs) I could guarantee you more people would have been hurt. It wouldn't have turned out good. And I can't tell you how many times we've been able to just wait on the Lord through prayer and fasting and weeping even, confessing their sins, not my sins, their sin. And you just see the Lord already beginning to work because there was patience. There was opportunity to just bow down and say, Lord, how do I handle this? Because there's always somebody that's going to get hurt. Never fails. So the people saw something in Ezra that moved them to weep bitterly. Now, I, I don't know if they heard his prayer. Because if you, if you read his prayer, if you heard his prayer, if it doesn't move you, then maybe you're not even saved. I don't know. It is a powerful, powerful prayer that this young man prays. I don't know if they heard it or not. I don't know if they heard him, including himself, in the sins of the people and them knowing this young man has done nothing wrong. How is it that he can pray like that? And that it just moves them in such a way that they are now weeping bitterly as well. But perhaps they just saw him come before the Lord in humility and grief with this heavy issue. Maybe maybe they heard or they saw him tear his clothes. Maybe they saw him pulling his hair and just like, ah, and his beard. And I'm like, man, that is serious. (laughs) That is serious. That maybe they're just going like, oh my goodness. Is it possible that these people this large assembly of people just seeing how the Lord was just just upon him in this time. The people. Is it possible that these people at the same time had been praying for someone like, 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 like an Ezra that would come and help them get things straightened out? Is it possible that these guys had been dealing with this issue for a while and maybe they tried to confront the people that were marrying the foreign ladies, these pagan women, and saying, we ought not be doing this because the Scriptures tell us that we should not be doing that. And they were just dismissed. And they had been praying for someone and the Lord raises up this young man to come on the scene and start settling the issue. That the Lord had called them for this and prepared them for this very moment. And so it tells us in verse 2 that Shechaniah, he spoke up. He becomes the spokesman to, to, for these people, for this large assembly. And we don't know if he's part of that whole group, but we do know from, chapter, or from, uh, from this chapter, verse 26, that those who are mentioned here, Jehiel and Elam, are mentioned in verse 26, that they were a part of this, that they had married pagan wives. We don't know if Shechaniah had or not, but the, he, his family had been involved in this. And so 
it's quite possible that this man includes himself because he comes and he says, we have trespassed against the Lord our God, or, or against the, our God, and have taken pagan women from the people of the land. The New Living Translation puts this portion here of saying, we have been unfaithful to our God. In the Hebrew, it means this, this word or this phrase, we have transgressed, to act unfaithfully, to act treacherously. Same word that Malachi had been using. We have acted to act treacherously, to transgress, to commit a trespass, to act unfaithfully or treacherously against man, God, a devoted thing, or a husband. What they had come to realize, this large assembly, what they had come to realize was that they had been putting God in a place of having to discipline them for their unfaithfulness. They, they, they were disobedient. They were unfaithful. And they understood the laws of God. They understood that if we keep on doing this without repentance then we will bear the consequences as our forefathers have done before us. As, as, as in this time gap of 57 years has happened and they fell right back into being unfaithful to their God. These guys are saying we have put God in that same position because He is faithful to His word that He will punish us and discipline us for our unfaithfulness. You see, God had warned them in, 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 in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus not to marry other people from other nations. Mainly because they would become unfaithful to their God. They would begin to serve other gods. Solomon is a great example for us in this situation. Here was one of the most godliest men who loved women and started marrying women from different places. And I'm sure there were some that, that served the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. But he married a lot of foreign women that just tugged at his heart and led him away. And that was the danger that God did not want these guys to fall into because they would start worshiping their wives' gods. Because they would bring in their own idols, their own little altars, and finally the, the people will, will start going after other gods. Now if the pagan women, or men, that they ha might have married, but mostly it was the men marrying women, if they had been converted to Judaism, now that was a different story. They would be able to keep their wives if they were converted to Judaism and began to work or to worship the Lord God of Israel. So the safe thing was that they not get themselves in these situations in the first place. Don't do it. Don't marry someone who is not saved. It's basically is what he is telling us here. 
Do not be unequally yoked with the non-believer. Why? Here's, it, it's almost like, here, I'll write it out for you. Here, here, here's going to be your life. <laughs> you know, this is what happens when you marry someone that you know that you should not be marrying. <laughs> we should have all the youth kids in here right now, huh? But, 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 but again, God had warned them, don't do this because this is what happens. You see, it, is, it was not a good situation that they had gotten themselves into. People, families, were now going to be hurt because of their willful disobedience to the Word of God. Because now we're having to deal with this whole thing of, of separating themselves from these pagan women. Because they were in sin. And they have to do something about it. Yet God had warned them. And He warned them so they would prevent this from happening. So they could prevent them from hurting women and children by splitting these families. Yet, Shechaniah says at the end of verse 2, yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. <laughs> what an amazing statement. This, this man, Shechaniah, had hope. And it's like, what are you talking about? You guys have disobeyed the Lord and you're saying that there is hope in spite of this? Well, it would be hope only because there would be humility and repentance that would have to follow this. In spite of whatever situation they were in, in spite of whatever situation we may find ourselves in, and even though it might seem hopeless, <laughs> there is always hope in the Lord. Even in a hard situation like this, there is always hope. This was not a hopeless situation. But it could have been avoided. It could have been avoided. <laughs> In spite of their willful trespass, there was still hope. Humility and repentance always brings hope. But it does not mean that the consequences will be done away with. If we humble ourselves before the Lord, if we repent before the Lord in whatever situation we might have gotten ourselves into, even in disobedience, there is hope. But it doesn't mean that you won't bear the consequences for your disobedience. You will carry those scars forever because of our disobedience. But hope will get us through those consequences. It has to. And hopefully, we learn our lessons <laughs> so that we don't continue having to get those scars and those wounds and those hurts. And, and, and Shechaniah, as he's being the spokesman in verse 3, he says, Let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them. What a sad thing that he's saying. 
But he's saying we need to make a covenant. And understand, Ezra is not the one that's initiating this covenant, which was wisdom on his part, that he is just listening at this time to this spokesman. And he could have jumped in and said, here, let me take care of it. Hey, we have sent. Yes, I know you have sent. And I'm about to straighten everybody out. He doesn't do that, man. Wisdom tells him, hey, just be quiet. Just listen. Just wait to see what I'm going to do here. Because he could have easily said, well, now we need to do X, Y, and Z. And, and in my counseling time, that's one of the hardest things for me. Zeke, keep your mouth shut. Just wait. <laughs> wait him out. And then speak. Because it's so easy to speak and jump in and say, here's how you fix this thing. And yet, he is not the one that initiates this. It would have been easy for him. But it was better that it came from the people, from this large assembly saying, we have sinned, we need to do this. Instead of him saying, you have sinned, you need to do this. It came from them. And he talks about putting away the wives and the children. Now, we covered this subject a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning. And you can, cover, you, you can go back and, and listen to that study. And we, what we covered was what was permissible by the law of Moses. It wasn't commanded, but it was permissible that a man could put away his wife if he found fault in her. Again, Jesus says later on, he says, or, or he says that as he's talking about it, but in the beginning it was not so. That's not what God wanted. But because of the hardness of people's hearts, he permitted Moses to do this thing. And then he goes on to say, but I say this. And so we dealt with that a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning. Now I know that as we look at this portion here where he starts talking about putting away wives and, and these kids, it, it, it just seems not fair and not right that that should happen. It's like, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we just read in Malachi that he hates divorce, and he does. But these people had trespassed, had willfully sinned, and they were going to have to get it right. And again, this is why God had told them, and they knew the law, don't get yourself in this situation. Right? And, and it goes for us today. We know right and wrong. I don't care who you are. You know right and wrong. And when we get in our situation where we're going, well, maybe God might do an exception for me because I'm kind of special in His eyes. And He'll let me go and do X, Y, and Z even though I know that He has not condoned it because His Word has already condemned it. And yet we're going, but it'll be different with me. And yet we get into that situation and now we're in a hard situation that we're going, Lord, how do I get out of this? And sometimes the way out of this is a cutting away that is so hard that God said, if you would have just been obedient to me and with me and for me, then we would not have to be do dealing with these hard situations and cutting away these hard situations that we are now in. Obedience is always good, people. Obeying the Word of God is always good. 
We should tattoo that on our back, or no, maybe on our arm, so we can see it all the time. Obedience is always good. Or I don't know, maybe on, I don't know, put it on your knuckles there, you know, obedience, okay, wherever you put it. Obedience, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just joking, guys, but if you want to, it's up to you. Obedience is always good because it keeps us from hard situations. Repentance is always good. But it doesn't always keep us away from the consequences. <laughs> Repent. That is good. But understand that the consequences are probably going to still be there. But repentance will help you deal with those hard situations. And this man says, it will be done according to the advice of my master. And those who tremble at the commandment of our God. And let it be done according to the law. These people were trusting Ezra. They knew that he was a man of prayer and fasting. They knew that he was a man who took things serious. And so they were trusting him and those who would tremble fear and be reverential (laughs) to the commandments of God. It was unfortunate that those who came before them, before Ezra, had not been trustworthy in that they had not obeyed the commandments of the Lord and stayed away from the pagan women. And it's sad that this large assembly who had probably been praying for a man like Ezra could not trust those who had been there before him, who were not doing things according to the law. And it's interesting because in verse 4, Shechaniah tells Ezra, Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. It's your duty, big boy. We are with you. Be of good courage and do it. <laughs> Taking on the role of a leader is already heavy duty, right? <laughs> but getting involved in an issue that you did not create, <laughs> but because you're a leader, you have to be involved in it. Knowing that you are now responsible for this whole issue, it's difficult. Because you know that you have been called for this time. And guys, I, I again, man, a few weeks ago when we were talking about confronting and stuff, and I was saying, I don't want to be involved in it. And I don't. But I know that we have to. I know my responsibility. I truly do. And man, oh man, I, I know that I want to be like this young man who is praying, confessing, weeping, bowing, fasting, doing all these things that when these situations arise, I do it according to the Word of God. I wish I could tell you I've done it 100%. (laughs) But I have not, probably. Because people have gotten hurt. Because even though you try to do it according to the Word of God and trying to take it slow, and trying to do it right, people will be upset. Even if you did it according to the Word of God. 
And I'm sure Ezra was encouraged by the people who were behind him. But that courage would need to come from God, from, his Holy, from the Holy Spirit. He would be able to stand on the confidence of the Word of God because he knew the Word of God in regards to the duties and responsibilities that were being asked of him. They weren't easy, but he would deal with it. In verses 5 through 8, I better hurry here. Then Ezra arose and made the leaders of the priests, the Levites, and all Israel swear an oath that they would do according to his to this word. So they swore an oath. Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God, and he went into the chamber of Jehohanan, the son of Elishib. And when he came there, he ate no bread and drank no water, for he mourned because of the guilt of those from the captivity. And they issued a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the descendants of the captivity that they might gather at Jerusalem that and that whoever would not come within three days according to the instructions of the leaders and elders all their properties all their property would be confiscated and he himself would be separated from the assembly of those from captivity if you remember back in chapter 7, when Ezra was on his way, when he came with the decree of the Lord, the king had said to Ezra in chapter 7, 25 and 26, But you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who will judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, such as know the law of your God, and teach those who do not know them. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on them, whether it be death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. And so Ezra, he understood the authority that had been given to him and he needed to acknowledge the wisdom of God to execute this authority. It would have been easy for him to just slash it all up and let the chips fall where they may. But he was going to seek the Lord in this whole thing. And even though he had some of the prophets and Levites swear an oath, he still fasted and he still prayed. He still sought the Lord on his own, away from everybody for this whole situation. Lord, Thank you for the men that you've surrounded me with. But Lord, I need to be on my face. I need to, 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 um, to fast and to pray and to just intercede for this whole situation before I do anything. And it says that they issued a proclamation. Again, it wasn't Ezra who initiated this. It was they. They came together and said, this is what we believe that the God wants us to do. And it was perfect. Because again, it allowed them to be, to take some of the responsibility. Not that Ezra was not. He was going to execute it. He was going to go for it. But he allowed 
others to be involved, even though he had all the authority to take care of it. And again, I just believe that it was sound wisdom on his part here. And then in verse 9 it says, So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month of the twelfth, on the twelfth of the month. And all the people sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of heavy rain. Then Ezra, the priest, stood up and said to them, You have transgressed and you have taken wives. Added, added to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and, and do His will. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the pagan wives. Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, Yes, as you have said, we must do. But there are many people. It is the season of heavy rain, and we are not able to stand outside, nor is it the work of one or two days. For there are many of us who have transgressed in this matter. Please let the leaders of our entire assembly stand and let those, <clears throat> all those in whose cities we have taken pagan wives come at appointed times together with the elders and judges of their cities until the fierce wrath of our God is turned away from us in this matter. Only Jonathan, the son of Asahel, and Jehaziah, the son of Tikva, opposed this. And Meshulam and Shabbatai, the Levite, gave them support. And so now all these guys have come together three days after this proclamation on December 19th, 458 B.C., all Israel gathered together in a rainstorm. And they were trembling for two reasons. One, because it was pouring rain and it was cold. And the other reason was because of the situation that they found themselves in. They were scared because of what they had done. They were in the open square, which was probably on the east side of the temple, and it could accommodate thousands of people. And the book of Ezra, in, in the book of Ezra, the temple was always a center of, of action, of what, what was going to happen. That's why I love this guy, because he just sought the Lord, and he was there all the time. Many who were there were there because of the oath. But many more were there because of the threat of punishment that when the proclamation went out saying, man, if you don't show up, man, we're taking everything and we're kicking you out. And so they came. And the meeting went on at scheduled, even in the pouring rain. And then someone decided, again, these guys were distressed and trembling for the fear of the wrath of God. And they were concerned about separating their families. I'm sure they were all made aware of what this proclamation said. And so Ezra addresses them and he does not beat around the bush. He goes right after them and he cites their sin 
of unfaithfulness and pronounces their guilt and he challenges them to acknowledge their sin and to do something about it. And in this case, it would be having to separate themselves from their families. It's hardcore. But they had brought brought this upon themselves. They all were were together and they agreed this is what we must do. They understood the gravity of what they had done. They understood the position that they had put themselves in and the position that they had put God in. That he would do what he has said he would do. And they understood the consequences that would befall them. But they understood also that this matter would not be done in a day or two. And so they decided, hey, let's just go to our own places, have our own judges and the, and the people deal with it because now they, could, uh, they can deal with it as individuals, not as a whole. And it's interesting because, again, the suggestion that is made is like, let's make an appointment. Everybody come in at an appointed time and, and, and more than likely these elders and these judges will know these people. And it was a good suggestion for them to be able to do this calmly and in order. And these people would be able to sit down at these appointments to see whether or not their wives had been converted to Judaism, to serving the Lord God or not. Because if they were still serving pagan gods, they were to separate. Again, It's like, why in the world did they do that in the first place? But my next question is, being with this person for so long, how is it that you did not influence them with God and God's word and his promises? Because again, it wasn't about marrying people from other races. That wasn't the issue. Because the, the, the land of Israel or the people of Israel would be a blessing to all the world. And again, if they married outside, then those people were to convert. Because you look at a man like Moses who married somebody outside the body of Christ. And yet God still blessed. And there was other situations that happened. And so this whole thing was the separation would happen if the the wives had not been converted. And only four leaders had an issue with it whether it was because they wanted to deal, it right, deal with it right there and then or they didn't want to deal with it at all. And they were willing to lose it all for the sake of their pagan wives. And that could be a possibility. Verses 16 and 17. Then the descendants of the captivity did so. And Ezra the priest, with certain heads of the father's houses, households, were set apart by the father's households, each... Uh, of them by name and they sat down on the first day of the 10th month and examined the matter by the the first day of the first month they finished questioning all the men who had taken pagan wives and so from December 29th 458 to March 27th 457 about three or four months, they had settled all these issues. And then from verses 18 to the end of the chapter, it gives us a list of all the people that had to either separate themselves or do whatever they had to do to take care of the situation. And there would be 111 families involved in all of this. That's way too many. 
Now, I understand there's over 50,000 people that came the first time. There's over 5,000 that came the second time. There's a 57-year gap. The nation has grown. And this is probably 1% of the whole population that had to deal with this. But they still had to separate. They had to do something that was not good. Because families, wives, kids were now separated from one another. And again, it was because of their disobedience. And it's interesting because at the end of verse, uh, of verse 44, the last verse here, it says, And all, all these had taken pagan wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. And so it kind of just abruptly finishes... He's a great, it's a great book. He just doesn't know how to finish it off. <laughs> but that's okay. I still love the guy. I've fallen in love with this man. Um, next week, again, we're going to do something different, but we'll be starting Nehemiah in a few weeks. And so be praying, start reading ahead. Um, I've gone over my time here. So let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your goodness, O oh Lord. God, this is a hard chapter in so many ways, Lord God, because we see what disobedience does. It hurts people. It hurts families. It separates families, Lord God. And I just pray, God, that for those of us who are in this room, who have heard this message, Lord God, that you would convict our hearts, Lord God, that you would remind us, Lord God, because we all know what's right and wrong in your word, Lord Father, help us to desire to do your will, to be obedient, Lord. And for those who, who need to repent, who need to take care of hard situations, Lord God, I pray that they would. I pray, God, that you would see them through these hard situations that they need to deal with. And so, Lord, we look to you and we praise you for your faithfulness and for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for this book, Lord the example that has been to, to us, Lord. I pray that, God, I was able to do it some justice and that you would just be glorified through it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.